Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome one and all, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, republicbroadcasting.org. Today is Saturday, July 26th, 2014. We have a great show lined up for you here tonight. The show is live every Saturday evening from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Time. That's 9 p.m. to midnight Central Time. Tonight on What on Earth is Happening, we'll be continuing our ongoing series, the extended version of my Cosmic Abandonment presentation. Cosmic Abandonment is a presentation that explores the connection of the interference theory of human origins, as I personally call it, to the current human condition. It explores those connections in depth, and we'll be continuing with Cosmic Abandonment tonight on What on Earth is Happening. I will be taking your calls in the third hour of the show tonight, so for people who want to get into the calling uh, queue, the call-in number to join us is 800-313-9443. Once again, the call-in number, I will be taking calls in the third hour of the show tonight. The call-in number to join us, 800-313-9443. I have one event announcement, uh, the big seminar coming up in Connecticut that I'll be giving called Demystifying the Occult will take place on Saturday, October 4th, 2014. It's an all-day live seminar in Manchester, Connecticut. It'll be starting at 9 a.m. and going through the day until 8 p.m., It will take place at the Manchester History Center at 175 Pine Street in Manchester, Connecticut, 06040. Free parking is available at the Manchester History Center. Here's a brief description of this uh, live all-day seminar. Mark Passio, the no-nonsense teacher of streetwise spirituality, will take his guests on a journey of exploration examining the world of the occult and its symbols. What exactly is the occult? Why should you know about it? 
What kind of knowledge comprises the occult? Who possesses such knowledge and how do they use it? How is occultism different from mysticism? What can the secret language of symbolism communicate? How is symbolism being used in our everyday lives? And in the second part of this seminar, I will also be giving a kind of a case study regarding occult symbolism using the major arcana of the tarot as a prime example of occult symbolism, and I'll be breaking down the symbolism in the major arcana. Advanced tickets for this all-day seminar, only a $25 donation. You could send a personal check or money order made payable to Arthur Capozzi, that's Arthur Capozzi, C-A-P-O-Z-Z-I, at 500 Monroe Turnpike, Suite 142, Monroe, Connecticut, 06468. Once again, check or money order payable to Arthur Capozzi, 500 Monroe Turnpike, Suite 142 in Monroe, Connecticut, 06468. Uh, Also, tickets will be available at the door for a $30 cash donation. So that's Demystifying the Occult coming up on Saturday, October 4th. If you're in the Connecticut area, we would love to see you there. It's going to be a great day of de-occulting hidden information and enlightening people as to what they need to know regarding the occult aspects of the control system that is all around them. So uh, that's the only event announcement I have. Um, I do want to mention that there is a donation button on the left-hand side of the whatonearthishappening.com website. If you feel that you have received value from the information that has been shared on the What on Earth is Happening radio show and website, please do feel free to make a voluntary donation to help support my work so that it can continue into the future. So with that having been said, uh, I want to direct everyone's attention, as always, to the whatonearthishappening.com radio show page. That's uh, on the radio show tab of the website. Underneath the player, uh, where you can listen to the live show from every Saturday evening, I will usually put images for tonight's show, and of course there are many images that go along with uh, the Cosmic Abandonment presentation, so you'll see all the slides listed there in numeric format. Uh, The one image for the show tonight is, of course, the um, poster for the uh, Demystifying the Occult presentation. And then underneath that, you'll see Cosmic Abandonment Slides Part 1 and 2. We wrapped up with the slides for Part 1. We'll be moving into slides for Part 2 this evening. Actually, we uh, went through up to slide number 93 last week, and I'll be picking it up from slide 94 and continuing from there this evening. Um, One thing I do want to mention about the slides for tonight's show, and tonight's show is podcast number 164, Um, for those who may be listening uh, later. Um, The slides for part two, I broke them up into two sections because there's 184 slides to this um, presentation. And um, the way the the linking system that I'm using works, uh, uh, the the slideshow, I should say, that that, uh, that, um, brings up the images in a slideshow format on the website works, Um, If you put too many images into one of them, it kind of um, uh, 
jumbles the numbers together. So I was trying to avoid that. It's kind of just a limitation of the slideshow format that I use. Uh, so I broke it into two parts, and um, you will notice that if you click, like, let's say, image number 93, which is the first image of uh, the presentation part number two, it will say that it's slide number one because it's the first slide of the second part. So that may be confusing for people to follow along like that unless you're just basically listening to what I'm talking about and then moving forward when I uh, say that I'm moving forward to another slide. Uh, if you can keep up like that, that's fine. If not, I highly recommend to people to just download the zip archive underneath the images and uh, you can unpack that on your own computer, unzip it, and you'll have all of the images there uh, with their correct uh, numerical sequence intact. And you could open them up in whatever image viewer you prefer. So I think that's enough for that. With that having been said, I'll jump into the material for tonight. Um, we were on slide number 94 last week, which is the last slide in a little subsection of this presentation called Lloyd Pye's uh, 12 Ways That Humans Are Not Primates. And we went over most of these last week. We went over the, the first 12, essentially. And we were looking at the last two at the end of um, last week's show. And that's a good place uh, to, to um, go into a break, I guess. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Stay with us. I'm your host, Mark Passio, my website, whatonearthishappening.com. Continuing with the Cosmic Abandonment Extended presentation this evening, we were on slide number 94, uh, the last slide of Lloyd Pye's 12 Ways That Human Beings Are Not Primates. We went through uh, 10 of these 12, and last week we ended on the last two, which was... I'm going to kind of be grouping these two together and kind of explaining how this these two parts work and are probably the best evidence for um, the interference theory of human origins. The fact that there are over 4,000 genetic disorders in the human genome, and you don't see that in, let alone primates, any other species on the planet. We seem to have more things that are wrong with our DNA than just about any other species on the earth. And, you know, people could argue that that somehow has something to do with the environment that we have created, but it's really always pretty much been this way since human beings have existed. You know, you could say, oh, epigenetics has something to do with that. And epigenetics absolutely does 
uh, have to do with turning on uh, the propensity for a gene to activate and to, you know, es- essentially display certain characteristics or tendencies or traits. But what we're talking about here is really something that is deeply embedded in humanity that really you don't see in other species on this planet. We have more disorders at the genetic level than any other creature on this entire planet. And to me, that's not the mark of how nature operates. Um, You look around and you see order everywhere else except in humanity. You see beings capable of living in homeostasis and balance with their environment. You see beings that are adapted to the planet. They could live outdoors on this planet in just about any kind of atmosphere or weather. Okay, um, Human beings are the only being, aside from the other beings that we genetically modified, genetically manipulated or hybridized, or essentially um, you know, bred over the, uh, a generation upon generation to create certain a certain subspecies uh, in the largest example, of course, the dog, which was originally a wolf. All of the modern domesticated dogs today came from the wolf species. And then we just domesticated the wolf and bred it down and bred it down, you know, through different hybridizing um, and, you know, different breeding um, and keeping it in a domesticated state eventually turned it into the the dog that we see today you know that species wasn't really intended to exist by nature <clears throat> and probably would not have evolved naturally by nature had man not domesticated it that way so that's what i would call an example of not direct of course um genetic uh manipulation but that is an example of um uh essentially what you would call um modifying a gene through uh, domestication and what you would probably call hybridization in genetics. You're, you're basically looking to breed certain characteristic traits and uh, you know not allowing others to move forward in the gene pool. So um, we did this with other animals like the dog and the cat and um, they would not be naturally adapted to living on the surface of the planet just on their own, just like we are not naturally adapted to living on the surface of the planet just on our own, because that's the same process was essentially done to us, only probably in a much more direct way uh, through uh, deliberate technological genetic uh, manipulation and, and splicing, gene splicing. And that's what leads us into this last um, point in Lloyd Pye's Um, outline of 12 ways human beings are not primates, that the human chromosome is reduced from, the amount total amount of chromosomes is reduced from 46 from 48. Uh, All primates essentially have 48 chromosomes, whereas human beings only have 46. And the reason for this most likely is because we are a hybridized species. And the beings that created us took some of their 
genomic material, some of their DNA, spliced it in with a creature that had previously existed on this planet, as we told in the ancient recounting, the summary of the ancient recountings of many different cultures on the face of the earth through their ancient scriptures, talking about the beings that essentially did uh, different genetic experimentation to humanity and lived among us and essentially kept us as their slaves. Um, when we were looking over that story, there was a part in it that talked about when human beings were incapable of reproducing on their own, these beings essentially gave us more of their genes and spliced it with the creature that they had that they had already made, and that made a total of 46 chromosomes, whereas the being that they started with originally had 48 before they began all of the genetic manipulation and tampering that they that they actually carried out. Now, people will say, well, is there any evidence to support this theory uh, scientifically? And <clears throat> the answer is, yes, there actually is. And this also goes a long way when you understand how this was done. It goes a long way toward <clears throat> helping humanity to understand why there are all of these genetic anomalies in our species, particularly things that have very much resisted explanation on the part of modern science and really on the part of anybody because they don't want to wrestle with the implications of why such a thing like, for example, primary psychopathy would exist in our species. When you look at how seemingly unbelievable a condition primary psychopathy is uh, that there are people who are born with an inability to experience human emotion in the physiology at all at all and you know I always whenever I talk about this I always go back to the fact that there are so many people who are in complete denial of this condition they insist that it does not exist they are in 100% absolute cognitive dissonant denial that this condition is existent among humanity. And we are having to deal with the implications and the consequences of that there is such a thing as primary psychopathy within the human species. And people don't want to wrestle with that implication, so they would rather, rather just wave their hand and say, oh, it doesn't exist. It's not something I ever have to concern myself with. It's not something I have to try to understand or look into or try to think about where it came from. It's just something I can completely ignore. And somehow uh, the consequences, the repercussions of its existence will magically vanish if I think that way. It's absolutely childish, delusional thought and anybody who still thinks that there is no such thing as psychopathy, particularly primary psychopathy, with the unimaginable, in-your-face evidence on a day-to-day -day basis that there are people who are walking around on this planet who are like mindless automatons without the ability to think, without the ability to feel. Okay? And those are just the secondary psychopaths. And they're taking their orders from the real other species, the primary psychopaths. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break, folks. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back.
Continuing with the Cosmic Abandonment extended presentation, we were on slide number 94, talking about the last two points of Lloyd Pye's ways humans are not primates, and we were talking about the 4,000 plus genetic disorders that exist in the human genome, not, uh, you know, uh, of which there are more disorders than any other species on the face of the earth. Um, the fact that Primates have 48 chromosomes in their uh, chromosomal in their genomic makeup, and human beings only have 46. We were talking about more scientific evidence. This slide, by the way, is um, showing that there are exactly zero bones in the human skeletal structure that exist in any primate skeletal structure. There has never been found any transitional species with any primate bones making up a actual human skeleton. And uh, Darwin himself would have cautioned people against taking his own theory and running with it blindly because he said for it to be borne out that there would have to be transitional species found in the fossil record and there have never has never even been one found this is what is known as the so-called missing link okay so the missing link has never been discovered <laughs> this so-called uh, ancestor linking ancient primates to human beings and there there never will be discovered this missing link because it does not exist you know, and people still blindly fall into this theory because it's upheld by all modern science that's backed by government grant money and funded because that's what the notion that they want to put out there to people because they do not want them to know the truth. Now, harder scientific evidence because people will say, well, evidence of... Um, uh, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, okay? So since we don't have these transitional species, oh, it doesn't necessarily mean that Darwin's theory is completely incorrect. Well, we can look at, sl moving on to slide number 95 now, we can look at what I think is one of the best examples of the scientific evidence um, confirming or hugely strengthening the theory of uh, what I call interference theory, that we are a hybridized species, that we are a genetically manipulated race. And it's the second in the human um, uh, sequencing of human chromosomes that was done by the uh, Human Genome Project. Uh, this was started 
a couple of decades ago, I believe, and it was wrapped up, I think, in the late 1990s, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about the date when it was finished, when it was completed. But um, first of all, it found that there was a lot less uh, DNA in the uh, human chromosomal genome than we originally anticipated. We thought that we were going to be much, much, much more complex and our genome was going to you know, have so many more chromosomes in it. It ended up being a lot more simplistic than scientists thought it was going to be. And the actual sequencing project finished, I finished, I believe it was years early, on the order of years, compared to how long they projected it would take. So um, the second human chromosome put up a lot of questions in scientists' mind because it appears to be a fused chromosome a genetically fused chromosome, okay? Uh, and I'll explain this in a moment. When we look at the slide, what, I have to explain what you're looking at here. Um, these are basically um, genetic markings of chromosomes. Scientists basically mark where there's certain genetic material and where, you know, there's absence of it. And that makes up the entire... Um, the entire uh, uh, how could I put this? It's a, a, just like a model of what the whole chromosomal material is represented by in this in this line with these light and dark colored lines going through the uh, the um, vertical bar. So, if you were looking at, let's just take the first four on the left hand, hand side of the image. Uh, you'll see they're marked by letters at the bottom. The first um, chromosomal line there. Um, it says H1. That means human chromosome 1. And then next to that, this is uh, uh, there's a C. That's a chimpanzee. Chimpanzee chromosome 1. You could just take the 1 and, you know, basically move it to that, the, 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 the sequence of these 4 on the, on the left-hand side of the image. Then there's 4 in the middle, okay? You have human, then the, uh, it says H2, that's human chromosome number two, represented by the second blue line. And then there's C and C, because it's a double chromosome, okay? The second chromosome is actually broken uh, in basically two parts, or they're representing its makeup by this broken chromosome, or it's actually made up of two, two separate uh, pieces, okay? The G stands for gorilla and the O for orangutan. So we're looking at three um, primates and looking at how similar or different their chromosomal material is to the human chromosome. And you'll notice that all three of these primates have this segmented second chromosome, okay? Uh, you see the green one is the chimpanzee, it's in two parts, the, the purple one is the gorilla, that's in two parts, and the uh, red one is the orangutan, and that's in two parts. The only one that is in one piece on the second one is H2, which stands for human chromosome number two. Then we see the similarity once again when we move to chromosome number three. Now, people have often said the uh, uh, genetic makeup of a human being is 98% similar to the genetic makeup of a chimpanzee. Is this true? Yes, it is. But in the difference in that 2%, you, 
you're talking about all of the different characteristics in that coding, uh, all of the different characteristics that make a human being different from a chimpanzee. So think about how much that is. Speech, art, culture, creativity, etc. All of all of these things, language skills, mathematics, you know, um, everything that makes a human being human, all the faculties of the higher brain of a human being, of the neocortical brain, you know, plus all the other things, the, the d- deeper complexity of emotion, not to say that chimpanzees don't have complex emotions, they most certainly do, but all of the ways that a human being is even more advanced than a primate come through in that 2% or less of genetic material. So when we're talking about this kind of a difference in uh, genetic material, in a chromosome being this single seemingly fused chromosome compared with the separated chromosomes of in the second chromosome sequence for uh, our primates, our, our primate uh, cousins, if you will, we're talking about an actual tremendous amount of genetic material. It's not insignificant. It's not a small amount by any stretch of the imagination. And when scientists look at this, they say this is the best example for uh, supporting Darwinian evolution because our chromosome evolved from the primate and it turned into something different, you know? And they postulate this notion that, you know, this happened over a seemingly short period of time. Some scientists have speculated it was as little as 20,000 years of time that this dramatic change took place. Some say it was 40,000 years. Some go up to about 80 to 100,000 years. And these are extremely short time spans when it comes to how, uh, even according to the theory of evolution, that you know genetic um, change is supposed to occur. And then people will postulate, well, it was driven by environmental factors and some type of, you know, maybe a cataclysm occurred or some type of environmental pressures happened. Even with that, the type of adaptation that would take place would not modify an entire chromosome to this level, not this kind of genetic change. It is an absolutely insane amount of genetic material that would have to change. We'll pick this point up on the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day Try to run, try to hide Break on through to the other side Break on through to the other side Break on through to the other side, yeah Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Continuing with the Cosmic Abandonment Extended Presentation, we were looking at slide number 95, a depiction of a comparison of the first three human chromosomes to primary uh, to primate chromosomes, namely chimpanzee, gorilla, and orangutan chromosomes. And we were looking at human chromosome number two, uh, and I was talking about how this is one of the main pieces of evidence in the support of the interference theory of human origins. And Lloyd Pye has talked a lot about this aspect of... Um, 
the possibility that we were genetically hybridized um, in that what these beings may have done is simply look for a chromosome that was compatible with the kind of slicing, uh, splicing that they wished to do. Uh, and what they would have probably been looking for is a double chromosome, which would have made it a lot easier to splice it because they could do the splicing at the telomere, which is the end of the chromosome. And indeed, that's what we see when we look at the um, human chromosome number two. It seems to be merged with um, or... Um, its pattern looks like a merged chromosome at the telomere if we were to look at the, uh, for example, chimpanzee chromosome. Okay, uh, More likely than not, that's what these beings did. They picked a chromosome that would have been uh, simple to perform after they had mapped the genome of the, of the being that they were working with. They would have probably picked a chromosome that would have simply suited their purpose and been uh, something that would have been simple to fuse to create the traits or characteristics that they were looking for. And <clears throat> human chromosome number two is the second chromosome, of course, in the, in the gene sequence, in the chromosomal sequence. And it looks like they skipped over number one because that just wasn't suitable or compatible with what they were looking to do. Again, more likely than not, they were looking for uh, one of these uh, dual chromosomes and they found it in the second chromosome. And so they decided to do the splicing there. And Pi also makes a lot of good points in his research that um, they were not, you know, working with the most advanced technologies that you could possibly imagine. They weren't doing this splicing at the atomic level, uh, which is where you would have to do it at to avoid any bit errors in the gene sequence, okay? Um, so they were doing genetic cutting and splicing very similar to how modern geneticists in humanity do it. They cut with a chemical agent. They actually put the genes into a chemical agent and it breaks them apart and then they could do the type of splicing that they want with another agent. And, you know, this... Um, this is a very inexact science. It's something that you can't really predict the outcome. You have to simply let the um, <clears throat> the thing that you're making express itself in a sort of a culture. And perhaps that's really what's going on in humanity. You know, perhaps this is the big petri dish. And the culture is expressing itself, and these beings may be finding out what they've gotten as a result of the type of splicing that they've done. Uh, I, I would imagine that they would be horrified, and probably were horrified, by what they got, you know, which is why they tried to essentially wipe us out as an abomination with the, the cataclysm or deluge, which we talked about previously. Um, but we're kind of like the bastard child that no one wants, you know. They, they did this to, for a purpose, for their purpose, slave labor, and then, you know, wanted to toss it away because they re recognized, well, you know, by anybody's standards, th this work is, a, is an abomination, you know. I mean, p people who look at 
what humanity has become and think the God of creation did this. I mean, they have a very low opinion of the God of creation, as far as I'm c concerned. You know, if people think we came from the God of creation. Now, I'm not saying we don't have an aspect of that within us. I, I, I have talked about the spark of the divine in the past. I think we are all part of the divine. Ultimately, we have a divine essence. I'm talking about what has expressed here on this planet. So you have to look past what I'm what I may talk refer to as the human essence or the soul, okay, and look at the behavior of human beings. Look at the minds of human beings. Look at what we have done to ourselves, what we have done to the planet, the systems that we have built, the control that we have put into into place amongst ourselves, the slavery that we still exist in. You know, and again, yeah, at one level that was done to us by the type of genetic manipulation we're talking about here in this series, but at another level we continue to do it to ourselves. We have the ability to epigenetically change ourselves through consciousness by what we take into ourselves, by what we put into our body, by what we will listen to, by what we will accept. We don't have to accept the programming. People go along with it because it's more comfortable than creating change. They fear the unknown, and slavery is what they've always had had in the past. So that's known. You know, they would prefer the known slavery to the unknown freedom, unfortunately. It's a sad commentary on the human species. I said from day one, I'm not an apologist for humanity. We continue to do this to ourselves. Nobody should look at this, any part of this presentation, as in a victim mentality mindset. It doesn't make a difference how much genetic manipulation was done to humanity. It doesn't make a difference what these beings did to us at some level. Because in the moment, in the now, we can decide to change it by not going along with this control system that has been built up around us. You can recognize it and say no. That's called free will choice, which is always in our arsenal. Whenever we want to actually use it and exercise it, it's there. But most people say, oh no, that's too uncomfortable. That could get me in trouble. That could create an uncomfortable situation. That could, you know, hurt the comfort level that I already am enjoying. You know, give me my trough and my blanket and my cart and, you know, I'll take the safe slavery. God forbid I should have to lift a finger and do anything that might push me into an unknown territory to have possibly dangerous freedom where I don't know what's going to happen next. You know, most people just absolutely would push that away. I'll take the dangerous freedom. I'll take the unknown. You know, I'll take the discomfort. If it means I'm not somebody's slave, I don't see how anybody could even think there's a choice in that personally. It's a, like I said, it's just a sad commentary. And I think these beings just really saw what the condition they had left us in had become. And they just wanted no part of it. They just wanted to dump us. They, they, they wanted to dump us in the cosmic trash can like a parent, a drugged out parent who doesn't want their child might dump a, a newborn baby in a trash can. Literally. That's what they essentially did to us by leaving us here in the condition that this species was left in. And, you know, it, it all goes to the point of, you know, just the, the level of not caring 
These people did not care about what they were doing ultimately. That's why, again, I'm not an apologist for this faction that people want to turn into some kind of god that they're putting up on a pedestal, namely the being known as Enki and, and his faction of beings that wanted to help humanity. You know, this is the being that wanted to start this project, you know, from the beginning to do this to a species that he had no right to do this to. How can anybody see that as a good guy? There are no good guys in this. None. Zero. I don't care what mystery schools he set up. You want to talk about the order of the snake? You want to talk about the ancient original mystery school traditions? Okay, a nice intention, a nice, um, you know, gesture, whatever. But don't make it like this guy did no wrong because he saw how horrifically crippled of a being he put into existence and then took some pity on him and wanted to give it knowledge. You know, that doesn't make him some wondrous, wonderful being. You know, I, I just think it's very important to say because some people take this polarized di dichotomy approach to, well, since Enlo was the bad guy who wanted to wipe humanity out, Enki must have been our savior. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, so looking forward at this genetic manipulation, what I want to do is postulate the notion, could this be the origin of primary psychopathy? Because we have no good answers about where that condition came from. is happening here on RBN. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're continuing with the Cosmic Abandonment extended presentation this evening. We were talking about human chromosome number two being a good example or a good piece of evidence as to the possibility of humanity being a hybridized species that was created as a result of genetic splicing or hybridization and you know scientists think that this is a great example of evolutionary theory and I couldn't disagree more because the swaths of time that they talk about this kind of genetic change occurring in flies in the face of traditional uh, Darwinian evolutionary theory if this much genetic change were really to be taking place through slow genetic change over evolutionary time, more likely than not, it would take a minimum of millions of years, probably in the order of tens of millions of years. And Darwin advocates, Darwinian advocates, uh, would have us believe that this kind of drastic genetic change in our genome took place in only less than 100,000 years. The most um, prominent of these theories speculating that it took place in less than 40,000 years, which would be like the wink of an eye, the blink of an eye, you know, in comparison to how 
long this type of genetic change would normally take. And creationists also want to claim this, you know, as this is evidence that God did this to us, that God created us the way that we are. Because, you know, this kind of genetic change doesn't happen in nature that quickly. Well, somehow God must have been responsible for doing it. And he made us the way that we are. And a lot of creationists say the human chromosome number two is a good example of the, the work of God. And in a way, I agree with them more than I do with the Darwinists. It is a work of the gods, I wouldn't say it's a work of the God of creation, but a work of the gods, uh, the uh, beings that are attributed as being gods in the Old Testament stories. Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's their handiwork, the Elohim, the Nephilim, the Anunnaki, whatever you want to call them. But please, let's refrain from saying that the God of creation does sloppy work like this. Okay, I think the God of creation has a little bit better genetic manipulation skills and math skills than all that. You know, not to make it com- comical or, you know, a uh, uh, a target of jest, but I mean, really. This is what, you know, creationists think is the handiwork of God. I mean, you know, that doesn't really say much for their idea of God as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, this brings me to the next point I was starting to get at, that we talked about psychopathy, you know, and moving on to image number 96 in the presentation. Um, I had done whole shows on the characteristics of psychopaths in the past, and I'll just briefly review them here on this slide. Uh, Total absence of conscience and empathy. They can't feel, period. They don't feel emotion in the body. Strongly immoral, aggressive, callous, and cunning. These are very intellectual beings, smart from an intellectual perspective. They don't have true intelligence because they don't really have uh, an intuitive, creative, nurturing, compassionate mind. That aspect of them is amputated. It's not there. And they were born like this. And we're talking about primary psychopaths here. Please understand the difference between primary and secondary psychopathy as well when we're talking about this topic. Primary psychopaths are born like this. They have in the genome, okay, there is a defect in their bloodline expressing in them as individuals the inability to feel emotion in the body. It is something that expresses at a genetic level. It is not something that is learned behavior. They are like this from birth. Okay? Secondary psychopathy is different than what we're talking about in primary psychopaths. Secondary psychopaths are experiencing a numbing of the full range of human emotions by constantly being in a left brain state. And the environmental and social conditions that they have been living in are conducive to that further numbing. So they mimic, their personality mimics over a long period of time chronically being in this spiritually depressed state. It mimics the conditions of primary psychopathy. 
So you have one that is the real thing, so to speak, and you have one that is a condition that mimics all the symptoms of the real thing, all the characteristics of the real thing. But secondary psychopathy is reversible. Primary psychopathy is not. And there are people who want to debate this and insist everyone is capable of change, everyone is is uh, savable. And I, I explain it like this. It's the equivalent of atrophy versus amputation. You, this is how you have to look at the difference between primary and psych- secondary so- sociopaths or, or psychopaths. Okay? The primary psychopath has an amputated characteristic or capability. It's not there and it's not coming back. That's like if somebody cut off both of your hands and cauterized them so you didn't bleed out, okay, prevented infection, and you had two stumps where there used to be fingers, okay, and someone said, without the use of your feet or mouth, please type something on this keyboard with your fingers, which you don't have. Well, you were not, you're not going to manipulate that keyboard with fingers you don't have. Because you don't have them. They're gone. That's primary psychopathy when it comes to emotions. When it comes to the parts of the midbrain that generate the neuropeptides that make emotion possible in the physiology. Secondary psychopathy is like atrophy. If you laid in a bed because you were in a coma for a year, your muscles would atrophy. And if you were suddenly awoken out of that coma, you wouldn't be able to get up and just start exercising and lifting weights because you're prob- more likely than not, your muscles would be so atrophied, you would have a hard time um, you know, even walking, let alone getting up and doing some weightlifting. Could you redevelop that capability? Absolutely you could over time, but you're going to need therapy. It's the same thing with the secondary psychopath. So that's how you have to look at it. It's the difference between amputation and atrophy. With amputation, the ability is gone for good. With atrophy, it is diminished, but it is capable of being restored over time. So continuing with this list of the characteristics of psychopaths, they're very adept at manipulating others. They're good manipulators. They learn to be very early because they know they're different than other people. So they learn how to fake things and manipulate other people. Because if they're exposed, you know, people aren't going to put up with them for very long. That's why they want to remain hidden at all times and places. They are willing to engage in criminal conduct to get their way. They have a deceptive ability to appear outwardly benevolent and they feign the normal range of human emotion. They have a complete absence of guilt or remorse for the harm they cause to others. They can't feel at all. So, of course, guilt and remorse isn't going to be felt. If they're not feeling any other emotions. They, they have no ability to feel normal human emotions. Guilt and remorse for when you do something wrong are normal human emotions. They don't feel them. They deny their behavior. They rationalize their behavior. They transfer the blame of their behavior to others. They have total contempt toward other people's feelings because, again, they don't care. They pathologically lie. They refuse to accept responsibility for the consequences of their own actions. And they believe they'll never be brought to justice for the way they behave. We'll pick this up right there. Stay with us.
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We were wrapping up talking about the characteristics of primary psychopaths on image number 96 of the extended cosmic abandonment presentation that I've been giving over the last several weeks and will continue probably over the next few. Um, Now, tying this back into the interference theory of human origins, people look at these characteristics and, like I said, half of them remain in denial that they even exist. Because they can't imagine that monsters like this could exist among the general population and be born like that. They can't even comprehend that this is a genetic condition similar to any other genetic condition that somebody could be born with. Like Huntington's disease, for example. It's, It's no different than that. You know, it's, it's, it's just carried in certain families and it expresses through certain conditions, you know? And people don't want to understand that this is real. To this day, I, again, I still get emails with people telling me it's, it's all an invention of the psychiatric industry, you know? And they don't want to understand that this is a real condition. I'm not saying there aren't a lot of invented mental disorders for the psychiatric and pharmaceutical industry to clean up on, you know, by selling their medication, so-called services. But this is not one of them. And it's a very naive mind that will not look into the world, recognize what's happening, and say psychopathy doesn't exist. I mean, uh, again, I don't need to justify what I'm saying as far as how, what these people are like. You could call it an ad hominem attack on the naive, because I'm saying you're a naive child if that's what you think, that, that if you think psychopathy doesn't exist, and it is an ad hominem attack. I'm admitting that, but it's also the truth. It is the truth that the person who thinks that way is in a very naive psychological condition that is similar to a naive child. So, you know, just because something is an ad hominem attack doesn't mean that it's not true either. You know, it's when you're trying to dissuade someone from actually getting at the truth and you launch an ad hominem attack against them or you're trying to dissuade somebody else from looking at the truth and you launch an ad hominem attack that it becomes a disinformation tactic. Okay? I could say something about somebody that I don't like because they're naive and they may very well really actually be naive and childish. This is what people have to understand. Not all ad hominem attacks means that what you're saying isn't the case. So just keep that in mind. Going back to this, and I, I, I stress this for a reason, okay? Because people have to really try to understand where we're at as a species. You have to understand what we're really up against. We're not only up against these vicious monsters, okay, that have absolutely no, no care for what they do to anybody, okay? They have absolutely brainwashed their prey to the extent where their prey doesn't believe that the the people who are hunting them exist. This is a absolute important 
um, aspect and commentary on the human condition, which is why I continuously re-emphasize this. For people who are students of the work I put out there, you have to understand what you're dealing with when you talk to people, especially these New Agers whose head is totally drifting off in the clouds, and they think the world is a wonderful place, and they think there's no problems, and they think it's all a wonderful spiritual adventure, and there's you know nothing evil going on here. There is no such thing. That's a judgment, you know? I mean... I just I think I've said enough when it comes to you know my take on the new age community and how childish they are and how naive they are you know but again I think nothing reemphasizes it more or paints a clearer picture about where certain people's minds are at in in a state of total right brain imbalance when it comes to the denial of the existence of psychopathy so. Tying this back in with intervention theory, people don't want to look at the origin of psychopathy. You know, when they're not in denial about that it exists, <laughs> um, very few of them ever postulate an actual reason for its existence. Well, what put this condition here with humanity? You know, this isn't something that's created by bad diet. This isn't something that's just created by, you know, uh, you know, some kind of uh, rough, rough breaks in life. This is something that somebody who's born in a totally comfortable environment could exist in because it's in them at birth. So why becomes the question. You know, and you could p propose all kinds of reasons. Are these just some type of animalistic souls incarnating into the human makeup, into the human uh, body of, of the human species? I'm not saying that's impossible, per, you know, perhaps. Is this something God is doing to us? God's making beings that have absolutely no empathy come into existence on this planet for what purpose? To create chaos? to make people's lives miserable, to bring total suffering into the world, to torment us, to enslave us? Is that something the God of creation would just do? Now, I don't really buy into that whole theory that God put this condition here with us. For what? Why? Why would God do something like that? Why would the creator of the universe have nothing better to do than look at the earth and say, you know what, that planet needs a bunch of psychopaths that can't feel. Oh, that, that, that'll, that'll liven things up. That'll spark things up there, don't you think? You know? This is what people think the God of creation does. Just pl he plays with things randomly, like, like it's a child, like that force is a child. It created all the galaxies, it created the entire known universe, but it just has, it's bored, so it creates psychopaths on, on tiny little planets on the outside arm of spiral galaxies, just, just to, to, to amuse itself. You know, then there's, you know, the other theory that, well, hey, maybe human beings had a high level of technology and civilization at one point, and they started tink tinkering with their own genome. And then that, you know, led to tons of degeneration within the species and civilization declined and people lost knowledge. And, and I have to open my mind. Is that a possibility? Sure. 
But to me, it makes infinitely more sense that something else is operating here. You know? I mean, you could say, oh, in our hubris, we did this in the ancient past. I think there would have been some record of the fact that we would have done this. And you could say, oh, well, knowledge gets lost, it gets burnt, it gets you know, lost in cataclysms. Yeah, that's, that's true to a certain extent as well. So I can't totally close my mind to the possibility. But the thing that we do have evidence of is the visitation of these other beings through the ancient records that were left by ancient peoples telling us about them and telling us that they did genetic manipulation to humanity. So, you know, am I going to go with the total speculative evidence or theory, or am I going to go with the one that is backed up by a lot of written scripture and accounts that, unfortunately, the general scientific community and archaeological and anthropological communities want to insist is just myth and legend, because they don't want to accept that the, impl the implications of these tales. give the call-in number. I'll give it again in the next segment as well. I'll be taking your calls in the next hour of the show. The call-in number to join us, 800-313-9443. Once again, 800-313-9443. So we're talking about the possibility that <clears throat> primary psychopathy, the genetic kind, may have been created as a result of the genetic manipulation and tampering that was done to the human species in the ancient past. After all, these beings did not have a extraordinarily high level of technology when it came to genetics and genetic manipulation. They were pretty much a little bit more advanced than where we're at now in this science, but they certainly weren't doing anything like moving individual atoms around. Or if they did have that technology, they weren't using it in this case because they didn't really care much about the precision of what they were creating. Because it's not like they were doing something to their own genetic makeup. They were making a slave laborer. They were making a being to be, basically be used as a workhorse. That's it. You know? As a beast of burden. So they didn't look at it as extraordinarily important that they do the most precise possible genetic splicing or rearranging that they could possibly do. You know? Didn't have to be that exact you know, according to their standards. So when they were doing this kind of genetic manipulation and splicing, they could very well, through 
doing it at a chemical level, have created all kinds of genetic anomalies in our species. Thinking, well, it's good enough for what we need it for. And if some of these disorders come about and express, oh oh well. And probably over thousands of years' time, they realized just how bad it was. And that led many of them to say, this is an abomination, what we've done, and we need to end it. We need to end the whole so-called experiment. Hence leading to things like the cataclysmic deluge in the past and, you know, the survival of small pockets of humanity and then finally, uh, you know, eventually replenishing the planet with our numbers. But... um, to me, the non-human or extraterrestrial hypothesis when it comes to the creation of primary psychopathy because of problems that they created in the human genome is actually the most likely. Because I don't see a lot of evidence that we did this to ourselves, nor do I see any evidence that the God of creation just goes around doing this to species just because it is bored or feels like it. I don't, I don't see the evidence of that kind of a God in existence. But some people, that's their worldview, which to me is an infinitely darker worldview than beings from elsewhere came here and created us as a slave race. To me, that's a very distinct possibility that doesn't really involve a dark worldview of nature. With the infinite complexity of the universe and how many species exist in any given galaxy, of course there can be species that you know, have developed to that kind of a level of technology but haven't really very deeply spiritually developed. And therefore they might go and do this to lesser beings that they consider lesser. We do it to animals... You know, through carnism, through, you know, the factory farm system. I mean, I I was, you know, knew about this, but just horrified to see another image of, you know, just baby chicks being put into grinders because the the factory farm system just sees them as useless because they don't produce eggs. I mean, just imagine this, beings on a conveyor belt going into a grinder. That's what we think we're allowed to do with life. And we wonder why we're an enslaved species. I mean, we don't have, shouldn't have to wonder a bit about it. You do things like this to other species, expect enslavement. As a matter of fact, guarantee it. And there are people who still are just totally callous about that and say, oh, no, we have reign over these beings. They're ours to do with as we see fit. Why? Because that's what the Anunnaki master 200,000 years ago told the people. I'm giving you dominion over the animals because I'm the god of this world. And you you interpret the, the writings in the Bible of, you know, thousand years couple thousand year old writings recounting that story which had been lost and preserved through oral tradition and rewritten with tons of details left out as the word of the God of creation 
Yeah, that has nothing to do with beings, which, which is br- brings me perfectly into the next section, segueing into the next section. It, the, the Old Testament and all the ancient scriptures has nothing to do with the beings that actually came here and were manipulating humanity and were callous and selfish and ruthless and brutal and enslaving. No. We're talking about the real God of creation here. He acts like that. The God of creation is vindictive and vengeful and punishing and wants all kinds of things that human beings want and, you know, has jealousy and hatred. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great view of the God of creation, let me tell you. An absolute, utter... I, I mean, the, the people who think that that's how the God of creation operates are sick. They're sick individuals. They are diseased, mentally diseased individuals. And go ahead and say, that's an ad hominem attack, and so that makes the statement untrue. Oh, it's an ad hominem attack, all right. It doesn't make, any, doesn't make anything about what I'm saying regarding them untrue, however. Because these religiously diseased, sick people... The worldview that they have, that that's what the God of creation would do to humanity. I mean, I just, I I'm, it leaves me speechless. I just don't even know what to say about it. If that's what you think of the force of creation. It's, it's beyond childish, it's beyond naive, it's, it's pure mental illness. That's what religious people have, is pure mental illness regarding their view especially if they believe the Old Testament God as described in the Bible is what the God of creation is actually really like. That's mental illness and is nothing but. And once again, I don't need to justify or qualify that statement in any way. I'm just stating it as fact. Period. And if you can't see it, if you can't see that that's truth, I feel sorry for you if you cannot see that that statement is truth. Because what these accounts were describing were the beings that came here and created humanity and enslaved us. That's what the God of creation in the Old Testament is all about. Hateful, vindictive, jealous, brutal, ruthless, scheming, employing all kinds of technologies, employing all kinds of warfare, employing all kinds of intelligence and surveillance and spying and you name it pitting people against each other doing favors for some and and v- brutally viciously harming others turning man against his neighbor having the absolute most egotistical mindset wanting to be wor- worshiped and and completely served hand and foot and it, it, this is in the, the tip of the iceberg when you get into some of the other ancient scriptures. You see ex- all the detail about what these beings demanded from their slaves. Oh, they were going to set up a nice little resort here on earth while they were here. They were going to get weighted on hand and foot. Have their every wish fulfilled, their every desire fulfilled like a big vacation putting us to do their work for them, as is still going on today. The super elite, 
progeny of these beings over countless generations still doing the same thing. Nothing has changed. You know, this is what slide number 97 depicts, that the God of creation, as depicted in the Old Testament, is, has absolutely nothing to do with the true God of creation. It's a vindictive humanoid being. which And it's one of these... It, it, the, here's the bottom line when it comes to these ancient scriptures. In the Old Testament, the God of creation, as it is being described as, is actually the Enlo and Enki brothers, the team, the mission commanders that came here in the ancient past. We'll pick it up right there on the other side of the break. Stay with us. happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Before the break, I was uh, talking about how drastically different the characteristics or property of the force of creation, the underlying intelligence inherent in all things that is responsible for the construct in consciousness that is the whole universe, how drastically different that force is than what the God of creation, quote-unquote, is depicted as in the Old Testament. Because what that God actually is, is a composite figure of all of the, really, mission commanders, the gods, that came here in the ancient past created humanity and ruled over humanity ruthlessly and brutally. Most of all, I would say it's the so-called royal brothers, if you even want to look at them as individual beings. I, I kind of have said in the past, I kind of consider them almost like factions of beings, the Enlil faction and the Enki faction. Not to say that there may not have been actual beings or brothers that commanded this this mission, but I personally tend to look at it more like there were quote-unquote gods, beings that were seen as gods by the ancient humans, and there was a grouping of them that wanted to rule over humanity absolutely ruthlessly without helping them at all, just get done what they wanted to get done with them and then go back home. And then there was another faction that cared a little bit after making this essential abomination of a race, cared enough to say, wow, we really have done something here. We shouldn't leave them like this. Like a parent who starts to recognize, you think maybe I have a responsibility to the child I just created? I don't know, maybe, as the being that brought them into existence in the way that they exist. 
And some of them wanted to help humanity in the form of giving them knowledge to enlighten them so that they would come out of their barbaric ways. It didn't work, or it hasn't worked yet. You know, like I said, I don't think that excuses them for their horribly immoral behavior anyway, but some people think it does. I don't. That's how I look at what we're actually seeing and reading in the Old Testament accounts are these beings. And if you read the Old Testament like that, it absolutely opens up new understanding to you. And we're going to actually do this on the show. I'm going to read certain accounts in the Old Testament in greater depth than what I've just touched on here in this presentation. And we're going to say, substitute God in this for mission commanders or beings that came from another world. And see if it makes a little bit more sense then. When you understand these were advanced beings, not gods, working with advanced technologies, being demonstrated to a primitive race that had just come out of the cradle of its infancy, that had no frame of reference for what they were witnessing. And again, some of them fought back against them, depicted here on the right-hand side of the image. You know, the, the whole story of David and Goliath, more likely than not, is not just allegorical, allegorical. These giants existed. The Nephilim, the fallen ones, the ones who were fallen from the original Anunnaki pure DNA. And some humans challenged their authority over them that the gods, quote-unquote, appointed them over as the overseers over humanity. The original governments, the original police forces, the original priest classes, as we're going to get to in the next slide. Once again, these beings gave us all of our institutionalized systems of control. The concept of authority, the concept of that some beings have authority over others, the concept that th there should be a government, the concept that money should exist because this will give you some medium of exchange to exchange goods amongst yourselves, the slave population. We'll keep the slave population in line by creating social strata, a stratification in their social classes. Oh, money serves that purpose very, very well. And people are too stupid to understand that was its only purpose. This idea that it's a store of value, that it's it somehow intri represents intrinsic value. It's all always been utter nonsense and bunk. It's always been an illusion. It's always been fake. It's always been there to do nothing but control. You know, the whole obsession with gold, which we're going to get to, that people think that's intrinsically valuable. That'll be coming up probably on next week's show sometime, or maybe the week after, I don't know. But, you know, as we look at, again, this whole section is about the story of the present. Go back to the theme, what this section is about. When we look at the present day, how can we explain all of these things, out-of-control religion, the whole concept of authority, 
worshipping the state, worshipping those who are allegedly in positions over you, with authority over you. Where did all this mentality come from? It had to come from somewhere. It had to start someplace. It didn't just pop up on its own. That's not human nature. It's the human condition because it was conditioned into that. That's why it's called the human condition. It got that way because of conditioning. So, you know, on image number 97, we're, you know, just going over these images of the Old Testament God, the vindictive, jealous, vengeful Old Testament God. That's, can't describe any better these beings known as the Anunnaki by the Sumerians. And again, their progeny, when they mixed with humanity, the Nephilim giants, you know, depicted on the right there in the story of Goliath with David fighting against him with his sling. Humanity, the, the, the representation of humanity challenging the authority of the so-called gods and, and so-called demigods. Again, please recognize that whenever I use the term related to these beings, it has nothing to do with the God of creation, and it is in double quotes and a small g. Okay? I don't want anybody getting the idea in any way that I think these beings were gods. I, I've said repeatedly they were the gods of nothing but the bottle of a trash can. Okay? If, if that's what they're the go gods of, that's about all they're the gods of. They're certainly not the gods of creation. They're not any actual gods, period. But they thought they were. You know, that was their attitude when they were here. We're your creators. You'll do what we say. We're your makers. We're your gods. We support you. We gave you life. We'll take it from you if necessary. 100% total controlling, just like the God of the Old Testament. And then, of course, they created the religions because they had to have intercessors and intermediaries between the human slave race and themselves. They couldn't be bothered to inter, inter, uh, interact with their slave species on their own. No, they had special demigods and humans that were the priest class, you know, the origin, originators of religion, controlling the rest of the herd and the herd mind with utter illusion and nonsense, the same way as it is going on today. So I think that's a pretty good place to leave it, to leave the presentation for this week. We'll pick it up there next week, and I'll be taking your calls in the third hour. So once again, the call-in number to join us, 800 313-9443 your calls coming up in the last hour of the show tonight uh, I'll be getting into um, next week uh, the creation of religions the creations of the mystery traditions and the creation of the dark aspects of the occult as well
control No dark sarcasm in the classroom Teacher leave them kids alone Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We're into the third hour of tonight's broadcast. This hour, as promised, I'll be taking your calls. The call-in number to join us, toll-free, 800-313-9443. So, let's go to the phones and hear what people have to say. Again, there's never any taboo topics on this show. You can call in and talk about anything you like. We have been discussing the cosmic abandonment presentation, the interference theory of human origins, but that's, you know, just a suggested topic. You can call and ask any questions about anything I've covered, uh, you know, or just make a general comment if you like, or, um, you know, talk about anything else you'd like to talk about. So <clears throat> let's hear from Mike in New York. Mike, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hi, thank you for taking my call, Mark. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, one thing I, I notice when, I, when I'm, I usually get to travel a lot uh, throughout what I do, and I get to meet a lot of people. That uh, could be a good and bad side sometimes, depending on how you look at it. But, right. um, you know, it's, when, when, you, when you go out of your way to be nice for somebody, you can almost see it in, around you with the other people. They look at you almost as if you're a foreigner, or they've never seen that before, you know, and they... They see it as like a strange thing uh, when you actually hold the door for somebody or go 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 out of your way to to, to help somebody out when usually they people keep walking right uh, but it I think that general attitude is just so ingrained and you know society is just so geared towards the negativity uh you know self serving uh you know fight or flight mode constantly uh it's so ingrained into their patterns of eating. Uh, sleeping, you know, that it's it's destroying uh, the, the body itself of, of the soul and the mind. Uh, and, and we do see that, you know, uh, as time goes by from, from where we may have come from and uh, how far we've fallen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a seems like it's a rote, unconscious program that is running in the body of humanity. And that's really what it is. I mean, it's not being our ninety nine percent of our actions are not being done from the conscious level of awareness, and mm-hmm. until people shift out of this unconscious program and start doing things from a level of conscious awareness, mindfulness, you know, um, not much is going to change. And there's again so few of a percent of humanity are even close to that level of consciousness. It's 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 sad. Uh, and again, I, I like I said at the end of last week's show, I do not say my opinion of humanity to dissuade anyone or to strike fear in anyone. But we do have to be honest about where humanity is at right now, in the moment, in the now. And that helps us to recognize our work. It helps us to know what our work is, what we're up against. You know, if you need to move a whole lot of weight from one place to another... 
you probably want to know, well, how much weight is it? How, how far of a distance are we moving it? What kind of resources that we, do we have at our disposal to move that? And that's all I'm trying to do is show people in a realistic fashion what the work that we actually have to do is so that they get in their heads, hey, if we're going to accomplish this, we better get to work. We better start doing it instead of sitting here. You know, we don't need, I don't need people to just sit here and hang on my word. I need people, what we need as a species is for people to start teaching other people what they need to know to change and to make this place a slavery-free planet. You know, the whole idea here is not to, you know, just become some kind of a, a teacher that everybody listens to. That's not what I want. I don't want you to listen to me. I don't want you to pay attention just to me. I want you, yeah, do I want you to pay attention to my message? Yes, but then I want you to go out and teach other people. You know, I'm not looking here to have all, you know, millions and millions of students. What I'm looking to do is to inspire millions of teachers. That's what the great work really is all about. That's what I'm looking to do. You know, so that we can all go out and teach other people, and then maybe we'll put a dent in this. Maybe we'll make some forward progress here. One thing I see in society a lot of a lot of the time, if you really look at people, <clears throat> it's one thing I'm I'm pretty good at is I can I can get a good sense of uh, a person by meeting them and talking with them, mm-hmm. looking at them. Uh, they don't love themselves, and that's it. It's really it's subconscious. It's conscious. Uh, there, there could be a multitude of reasons why, uh, oh. but at the at the same point, but it, it, you can see it in everybody. Sure, you know when you base it down to that, uh, and if, you, if the, the greatest thing you could do is go out of your way to give somebody that really does need the kindness, uh, go out of the way, go out of the, uh, your way for them, uh, that will play back, uh, and again, ripple fold or butterfly effect, however you want to play that but it's it, it will come back um and and it will actually you know improve other people's lives uh you know what i try and do in my with my service is that i i try and help people you know and that's sure. my goal is every day i wake up and i say how can i help people you know it may not you may not be able to help everybody but at the same point you know i i try and strive for that and i do try to spread this information out there as much as i can uh you know sure. piece by piece and not overwhelm them and that's what it's all ultimately about, you know. And sometimes, you know, people will say, "Well, help people in some small ways." Sometimes the best way of helping somebody is to teach them or encourage them to try to help themselves. You know, it's like um, I'll, I'll give an anecdotal example. You know, I, I do computer repair, and sometimes I see people causing a problem that I previously fixed because their habit has not changed. They're doing the same thing over and over again. And at some point, I'll say, they'll ask me, can you fix this problem? You know, because I support their particular computer, desktop, or laptop. And I'll say, no, I cannot fix it. But you know how to fix it? Yes. But I will not fix it. Because what you're doing is undoing something I've already done, and I fixed it now two or three times and tried to make you aware of what was causing it, now the fix is you have to learn how not to cause that problem if you want me to continue to support your computer as your tech guy. 
And some people get very mad at this, and some people don't want to use me as their tech guy anymore. And I let them go when that happens. When, you, when somebody starts to undo work that I've done in my field of work, you know, for the fake form of money, not the form mm-hmm. of work in, that I'm trying to make the real money with, okay? But in, in the, the field of endeavor that I engage in to make fake money, to unfortunately physically uh, be able to eat and keep food, you know, uh, coming into my body on, on a daily basis, um, I do computer technical support work. And, you know, would helping them be to just continue to fix the same problem that they themselves create over and over and over again endlessly? That wouldn't really be helping them. So at some point, I might do that once or twice and see if I could tell them about the behavior and what they're doing that's creating it and see if they'll take my advice and change it. And sometimes people do, but very rarely. Often they keep making the same error again until I refuse to fix it. And then finally they say, well, what do I have to do not to create the problem? If only it were that easy when it comes to actually fixing this problem with humanity because really we don't have the option to just let it all go because that's going to take the whole race down. It's going to take the whole planet down. You know, you can't just let off like that, but we have to instill in that, instill in other people the notion of the best way to help is to give knowledge to people and to help them to help themselves. You know the day destroys the night, night divides the day, try to run, try to hide, break on through to the other side, break on through to the other side, break on through to the other side, yeah. Welcome back everyone. We're taking your calls during this third hour of the show tonight. Let's hear from Thomas in Toronto. Thomas, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hi there, Mark. Uh, I've been a fan of the show for a few months now. Cool, really I appreciate that. on the tarot and hermeticism. Anyways, um, my uh, comment is about, about language, like how we use it. Like, if you look at the word belief and how often people would use it, in a society like you say oh we believe in government we believe in religion we believe in i don't know some institution basically would you rather believe or would you rather know how many people actually can say i don't believe in science i know science or i don't believe in religion i actually know my religion I mean, given the amount of, like, historical background on all these things, do you believe in your government, or do you know that your government has your best interests at heart? That's kind of what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Belief is, like, it's well encouraged from everywhere, from marketing campaigns to slogans. And but, but when it really comes down to it, it's pretty irrelevant. It either is a way or it is not that way. There is either no. the truth to the matter or that thing is not true. You know, people want to think that the truth is so, 
you know, shades of gray, but it's not. It's it's all one way, as I say. It's it is black and white. This is a big huge monumental lie that's been pumped out there to get people to think that everything is relative and relativism is the big lie. You know, we have to understand that truth is that which is. It's what has occurred and is occurring. And you either know. know that or you don't know it. Yeah, because belief, like, if you don't know it, it takes away your power. So if you have a bunch of people and you're always telling them to believe in something, right? they're completely powerless because they don't know what this thing corporation or entity has as their interest. That's right. And it, see, if you base action upon incorrect perception, there's always going to be disempowerment, which is what why it's so important to align perception to the reality of what's really there and why we need discovery methodologies like the trivi- trivium and quadrivium, etc., in order to do that in order to actually undergo that process of weeding out inconsistencies and bringing our perceptions into alignment with reality. That's why it's so important. Exactly. I would even go as far as saying that, like, belief is just, it should be removed from the English language because it's used, like, so many places where actual knowledge can be found. And we're encouraged, like, daily to believe in something. Yep. And what's the point? I'll, I'll do you one better, Thomas. I mean, you, you think about this. When you try to present evidence to people for something that actually is, does exist, has evidence to back it up, and can be essentially proven, okay, you often encounter this resistance in the form of, well, that's your belief, you know? Everybody thinks that... It's just a matter of belief with everybody, and there's no actual way that something is, you know? When you talk about that society is enslaved, people go, well, that's the way you see it. No, 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 it is not. It actually is that way. It has nothing to do with my belief system. It has nothing to do with my perceptions. Either we are living in an enslavement system or we are not. And the reality of the matter is, is that we are living as enslaved beings on this planet. It has nothing whatsoever to do with belief. I'll even say that. What really actually gets to people's minds? Like, I'd say everybody. Everybody loves entertainment. Like, if you try to present information in a very linear, left-brain fashion, automatically people, they put up the stone wall, they la-la-la, close their ears. But if you can, like... Like, look at Lord of the Rings. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, he had a huge advantage in having access to the Oxford Archive. And Lord of the Rings isn't just about, like, fictional characters. It's about the journey of the soul through the physical world. Yes. And so many people watch it because they think, oh, it's just entertainment. But they're taking morals from that because... Nothing in their mind says, oh, this could be changing my belief. When it is, and they can't even stop it because it's entertainment. So people actually listen to entertainment. 
and and hence that's why allegories are actually a powerful medium of expression to change people's thoughts and why there are very good allegories out there it's not all what people call quote unquote predictive programming does that exist and is that going on yes absolutely there are things that are guiding people's minds and behaviors in a dark way when it comes to hollywood and entertainment but then there are very creative artists uh, and storytellers who are trying to tell very powerful allegorical spiritual stories to help awaken what in humanity is up to this point lay dormant that is the human will and the human imagination yeah. and creativity yeah and people can get behind that because it doesn't like it doesn't start political debate in the same way that like you wouldn't see a person blow up a building because you said hand shot first or something but I personally, I want to write a novel, like, not a non-fiction novel, a fiction novel, because you could put as many allegories in it as sure. you want. And it works it's, at a subconscious like, level. Oh, cool. I'll check this out. Yeah. But if it's a non-fiction novel, it could be like, oh, I don't trust it. Right. Because, again, their perception is, oh, this is just one person's opinion. You know, it's all a matter of belief. But... Allegorical fiction can work its way into the subconscious mind fairly effectively, you know. Um, Belief is nothing. It's less than nothing in that it actually holds people back. They're carrying their belief. It's holding them back. I think I'm going to call you Doubting Thomas because you do not believe. What do you think? (laughs) Other people have called me that. (laughs) Oh, it's a good thing to question to question everything, you know. That's what really we need more people doing. Yeah, so, Tom, Tom, Thomas, I want to thank you for your great insights. Uh, really great call. Thanks so much for your contribution. All right, Mark. Thanks. All right, you take care. Let's hear from Ryan in Nebraska. Ryan, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hey there, Mark. Um, I was just thinking about, um, you know, you are talking about Enki and Enlil, and I was thinking a lot about... Um, there's a lot of, you know, new agey type people out there now doing channeling of like Ashtar characters yes. and some other people. And one question is, is there anyone out there who is here to help us? Ah, uh, that's a great question. I actually asked that question to Jordan Maxwell when I interviewed him on the show several weeks back and he came out with a resounding, emphatic and immediate no. Which kind of surprised me. I thought, you know, maybe, uh, you know, he had thought maybe there was all kinds of different consciousnesses in creation and some of them were looking out for us. I mean, I think about this all the time and I don't think even if there are beings out there who disagree with this current system that we're living under, that they're really going to do too much to step in and uh, rescue us from ourselves. I'll explain that on the other side. Stay stay on the line with me and I'll, I'll continue this on the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, stay with us. We'll be right back. <laughs>
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We're taking your calls in the final hour. We were talking to Ryan in Nebraska before the last break. He asked if there was, if what was my take or opinion or thoughts on the conjecture that there may be some positive extraterrestrial beings that may want to help humanity overcome the current situation that we are in regarding slavery. And um, my take on this is slightly different than somebody like Jordan Maxwell who thinks they're absolutely no help, no assistance, and they're not looking out for us at all. I look at it like even if there are beneficent entities in the cosmos that do want peace and order and harmony and higher consciousness and truth and freedom, they're not necessarily going to just swoop in here and do the work that we need to do for us. And then, you know, they're they're lifting up our weight and then they're going to be responsible for that weight. You know, they're going to lift it up and we're not going to be able to do it. Like, it's like, I think gentle encouragement or nurturing is probably their way rather than doing the work for you because then nothing is learned or really accomplished on your part and those muscles that have been atrophied never actually come to working order again and they stay atrophied and then they have a being to support on their hands and I don't think that's what they want. That having been said, while this may be kind of similar to a idea like... Um, the prime directive in Star Trek, okay? Uh, and, you know, just very interestingly, I was watching a, an episode of The Next Generation, the, the Star Trek The Next Generation series. I think it was season two, it was called Pen Pal, where uh, a being from another planet is asking for help because their planet's going to be destroyed by geological upheavals. And they have this big debate over, should they go and save this race? You know, what if it was an oppressive government that was enslaving the people, would they be so sure that they should render assistance then? And they had a big discussion about this. So I, I find it very synchronistic that you would even bring this up uh, shortly after I had watched this episode recently. And, um, cool. um, you know, m- my take on this is, isn't th- is this not a special instance, however? Because other beings did this to us. See, it isn't just something that naturally happened. There was already interference. So I'm thinking if there are beings like that, they probably would want to take that into account as well, that other beings that were more technologically advanced than us already came in here and did this damage. I think what they're hoping is that they can they can basically uh, stem off having to come in here and jump in and, and quote-unquote save us. I think they're only going to step in if we endanger the physical survival of the actual planet because the planet is so special in this area of space that they're not going to allow us to actually destroy the planet. They're more concerned about the actual infrastructure of the planet and its ability to support and sustain life than they are about a species becoming extinct, like humanity going extinct. And... You could say that's kind of selfish, you know, possibly. Um, but I guess from their perspective, one species shouldn't jeopardize the ability of, of all other species and a planet that is capable of supporting the life of the development of all other species and species that could come after us. So, you know, you have to look at it from that kind of higher level perspective. 
so I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, I, I would say I would give it a, a cautious yes. There are beings that want to help, but they probably have some sort of a code in their civilization that says, well, we can't get involved up to a point. Uh, because that would be pulling these other beings up by their bootstraps, and then we're going to be responsible for their spiritual stagnation in doing so. That's kind of my take mm -hmm. on it. Right. Um, do you find any significance in the, the pyramids uh, in Egypt pointing to Orion's belt? Yeah, there's the theory, I think, put forth by... Uh, Robert Boval and Graham Hancock that the pyramids are a mirror on the ground of the belt stars of Orion in the sky. And that's very quite quite possible that these are some sort of astronomical alignment markers and who who would do that other than beings that really came from the stars? You know, we're trying to mimic constellations on, on the ground possibly. Um, or beings that really had such knowledge of the stars and constellations that they put them on the Earth in the configuration they, they did as astronomical markers for the procession of equinoxes and other uh, celestial phenomena. So, yeah, there's definite significance in that configuration. I do think it correlates. I don't think it's just an accident or a random speculation. I do think that there is a connection between the pyramids and the Orion um, constellation, for sure. All right. Great. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to let you go. I just wanted to say that um, I found you by your uh, decoding the matrix. Awesome. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting for you to do Cloud Atlas now. <laughs> oh, that would be a good one. That was a great, great film. Ryan, thanks so much for the call. Yeah, take care. You too. All right, let's move on to another caller. Let's hear from Robert in California. Robert, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hey, Mark, how are you? Doing well. Yeah, I've checked out all your podcasts over the last couple of years, starting with number one. Great. And I really appreciate your work. Well, that's the way to do it. It's a stepwise progression done in a pretty logical, ordering fashion. And uh, if you do it that way, I think that's where, where people get the most benefit out of it. I would hope that you know new listeners would uh, take my advice and go back to podcast number one and work their way forward because that's where that tapestry is going to come together for them. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, did, I just wanted to make a comment or um, sure. pose a couple of questions about your the last you know couple of installments. Sure. Uh, just I was I was wondering, what do you think about the word civilization? Because it gets thrown around a lot, um, and I think it's just a real case of um, the word being obfuscated. Because really, what it boils down to is slavery. I mean, that's the common denominator. I mean, you go back to ancient Sumeria. I mean, just whenever you have civilization, you have slavery. I mean, you have the absence of freedom. Yeah, I, don't, so, I mean, it's, I, I it's think that's human weird. farming, but it gets thrown around like, oh, this breakaway civilization, or right. um, or, or it's all tea and doilies, and, and it's refinement and all right. this crap. Yeah, I, I don't see but, that as what civilization is. I, I don't think it has to be enslavement either. Uh, again, I see technology as something that is a tool and can be used for good or ill. Uh, what we have done with all of the technologies that we've developed and what we have done with the uh, uh, intellectual advancement that goes along with a more advanced quote-unquote civilization um, is create more and more enslavement. As such, right. it's nothing of the kind. 
it's not civilized. It's the exact opposite no. of a civil, yeah, civilized not. society, meaning civil, treating each other in a civil fashion, in a way that is non-aggressive, in a way that is non-violent. You know, um, we need a non-violent civilization. That's what we have not developed yet. Yeah. You know, so can that be done? I believe it can. Can we employ technology for nonviolent purposes? Can we use technology to serve humanity and lighten the physical burdens that we unfortunately do need to continue to really go through to just manipulate matter in in our environment so that we can sus- sustain ourselves in, in in some sort of a sustainable way? You know, uh, you know. I'm not an advocate of uh, Ludditeism, of going back to a time when right. there was no technology. You know, I'm not a Luddite. I'm not somebody who thinks all technology is evil. You have a lot of people who are very fearful of technology in any capacity and think it all needs to go. That's not my take, never has been. I think we can use right. technology in empowering ways if we have the consciousness to uh, recognize what we have been using it for is all the wrong reasons, and we need to just turn that around and say we need to put it to use for the right reasons. Then we could have right. a truly civilized society based in nonviolence, and I don't think we need to give up the technological, some of the technological comforts, you know, that that we've come to enjoy. Yeah, it's almost like a projection saying, oh, now look at this technology, it's so evil, it's doing all this bad thing. Because no, the people who are manipulating the technology, That's right. the people who are hoarding it. Yes. I mean, if you look at like the... the just, Hicks, like, just like guns, you know, people want to blame... Just, you know? Yeah, people want to blame right. guns. You know, it's not the gun, It's the that's a tool. It, it, it's an inanimate object until it's picked up by a consciousness and wielded. It's the same thing with technology, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um... No, I was just going to say, if you look at um, the Hyksos Ferris yes. of Egypt, you know, they moved in and they had chariots and, um, you know, they had better, yep. better um, metal work. And yes. so they had, better, they had bronze weapons and, well, it's like they just ruled over everyone. Oh, they so came, the other, they came in around late 18th dynasty and just conquered Egypt, you know. Uh, they, and, the, the they, and that was the beginning of the end of the whole, you know, uh, Egyptian and Comitian, the earlier Comitian cultures that had a level of, you know, uh, sophistication when it came to some spiritual understanding through the mystery traditions of old. Uh, but when the Hyksos came in, that all really went downhill from that point, for sure. Craziness that we're still living with. Robert, thanks so much for the call. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening, last segment of the show for this evening's broadcast. We're taking your calls. Anything you want to talk about, no taboo topics. There never are here on What on Earth is Happening. Let's hear from Mike in Kentucky. Mike, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Yeah, we've got a big 60-mile-long uh, 
uh, swath of lightning that's head, headed our way north wow. of I-64 in Kentucky. So, um, you know, I'm on a regular phone. Hopefully it won't get took out by the lightning that's coming at us. But uh, is there uh, a listing of these ancient scriptures that you're citing? I've got a couple of questions here, and, and uh, that was one of them I was hoping to get to is, you had like a yes. I listed many of them back earlier in this presentation. If you go back, yeah, I've to the been listening to podcast. some of, but I mean, like this, like the uh, online. Is there a, a uh, like an outline? Like I've seen other people do. They'll do like an outline of the bullet points. Yeah, of, I was thinking about doing that and posting them. I will probably do that in a future podcast where I will actually put all of these texts together and uh, actually link them. But uh, I'll probably do that in the section where I cover some of this in more detail and actually read from some of these texts as well. That's coming yeah, up on a future show. When you just say ancient scriptures and don't cite much other than saying Sumerian right. texts or something, it's hard to look it up. Well, you can uh, actually go and download any of the texts that I listed. You know, If you want to download, for example, the Ramayanas, they're all available. The Srimad yeah, Bhagavatam. See, how do you spell that, though? I mean... <laughs> Uh, they're in all of the spellings are actually on the slides. If you go back to slide number, okay, where do I find these slides? They're on my website in the podcast section. So go to whatonearthishappening.com and click on the podcast page, and then you'll see them listed with the podcast where I covered the cosmic abandonment presentation as numerical links. And it is slide number 33 in part one of the cosmic abandonment slides, or you could download the slides as a zip file. The link is given there under each podcast, uh, each recent podcast. You unpack that zip file on your computer and it would be image number 33 and you could type any of those into Google or any other search engine that you prefer and you would definitely be able to download any of those. Uh, I agree with you what I heard a couple of weeks ago. I think you were talking about it. I've been a rebroadcast on a bunch of the archaeology that does not make sense. Yes. Now, the Egyptians, I think their parody of the Milky Way was the Nile, you know, the river was the, is seen, I think, as the Milky Way alongside the pyramids. So, um, of course, that religion that they had drove their society. Oh, there was a big pop in the phone. I don't know. Am I still on? Yeah, I can still hear you. Okay. Um, anyway, the uh, uh, there's even recent stuff that they just put it out there, and then I guess they're expecting people not to realize that it throws a, a whole wrench in the works, like this idea that they found these coins underneath the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem that date to a regime of Roman, uh, whatever you call it, Roman Caesars that are well past the destruction of the temple. So the idea that this Wailing Wall is the last remnant of the temple and uh, you know they're going up there and, and uh, praying to this wall, uh, it, it wasn't even part of the temple. And of course... Uh, so, I mean, that throws a whole wrench into sure. a lot of lot of belief systems you know, there. But I've talked about the concept that the whole temple of Solomon is 
the whole idea of that is allegorical in and of itself. It's about rebuilding the human soul and the human brain and the human creative capacity and the holistic human being. And it's meant to be taken allegorically. And the entire Temple of Solomon, if it was ever a physical place, is long gone from the earth. And, you know, it really only is about uh, an allegorical story about rebuilding the human consciousness from its fallen condition. Well, there uh, is some archaeological evidence that... Uh the original Temple of Solomon was on Golgotha, where the crucifixion took place, and 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 uh, there's some archaeology that points that away. So the Wailing Wall is even on the wrong hill. For it's, that. It's, it's, want... it's basically done to further religious control and get people to take something that is meant to be taken allegorically and to have them take it physically to basically steer them off track from the well, real understanding several heavens and earth in the Bible. I mean, you, what heavens and earth are you talking about when you're talking about heavens and earth? Because sure. the inner temple to this day by Jews is referred to as the heavens and earth because that's where heaven meant earth, uh, you know, with the physical man going in there uh, right. to meet with the spiritual uh, creator of most high. But anyway, sure. that's so kind we're, of a tangent. We're, what that's we're a to- work. Uh, what I was going to say on these belief systems... Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times that guy earlier, this previous caller was talking about the word belief. Right. And eliminating the word belief from our vocabulary. Well, I mean, what's the difference between that and a working theory? You know, that's what you're, you're dealing, you know, you have a perspective on several things and you establish sure. a working theory. And, of course, theology, the word theology is built out, out of that same uh, well, A word. theory has evidence that you could back it up with. That's the whole point of the scientific methodology. Formulating a theory, hypothesizing and speculating is one thing, but then actually going and making observations and testing the hypothesis is what brings it into the category of science as opposed to just religious belief. So there there is a qualitative difference between those two modes of thought speculating and theorizing are one thing but you're you're holding off on saying i believe this to be absolutely the way that it is until i uh, compound and find more evidence that leads me into the direction to have to say i accept this because there's so much evidence that points in that direction that really that you know more likely than not is the case is true is what well, happened so that's why though you you were to use quantitatively, and if we look at some of the basically astronomical improbabilities of where we are at geologically and uh, on a supposed evolutionary scale, which uh, and if you study you know things like orbital dynamics that NASA's calculated. And, and the very things like the impact theory of the origin of the moon, and how long ago that had to have been, and and for you know some cosmic pool player did the perfect pool shot to glance this object the size of Mars off the Earth, and now we are quote evolved enough to recognize right. the ridiculous the ridiculousness of a hybrid eclipse so that in seven minutes the rotation of the earth actually because of its circumference around the equator can allow it to pop between an annular total and an annular in seven minutes and 
It caused the for that to be cosmic accident is the astronomical chance. I I absolutely agree. Well, it's and, all and marks of it's this is all hallmarks hall, of intelligence. On the scale of time, in a just couple hundred thousand years, we may not see that anymore because the moon is receding away from us. And so, unless the sun gets smaller, which it's not, uh, we won't see that anymore. So, you know that that's been calculated. But I have to think that some of the adaptation is the word I prefer of our uh, human intelligence and stuff has been uh, modified by some huge environmental things that have happened in in probably scales of four to ten thousand years and you know the great chicago fire it's kind of blotted out that there were many other fires that evening and it points towards some kind of methane snowball comet fragments or something that hit all over the upper midwest and caused huge fires and there were many more deaths outside of chicago than there was in chicago sure this whole thing about a cow knocking over a lantern is complete myth Envi- and they don't want us to know about how much methane is raining down on this planet. Environmental factors can pro- probably have played a very, very, from outside the Earth, have probably played a larger role in the current human condition than we'll ever even know. Uh, Mike, what? thanks so much for your all call. Right. That's all the time we have for this show, unfortunately. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, there's only two mistakes that one can ever make on the path to truth. Not starting and not going all the way. Thanks for listening to this edition of What on Earth is Happening. We'll see you right here next week.